Hello. Good morning, Merlin. How are you? Good morning. How are you? <laughs> pretty, pretty good. You know, I have, I have some kind of cold. Oh no! Yeah, I, I feel like I sound a little, a little weird. Mm, you sound kind of like sad Charlie Brown music. <laughs> that's how I. That's how it feels. Yeah. That's how it feels. But this is interesting. It's an interesting turn of events because instead of my kids giving me the cold, um, I have a cold. I'm trying not to give to them. How do you go about that? Um, I try to, I'm trying to be a less affectionate parent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's probably good in general. <laughs> you think no more hugs, no more holding hands while you cross the street. That's day Screw one, that stuff. It's stupid anyway. Day one, Ayn Rand. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to, a soft kid, you give soft love. Hard kid, hard love. Yeah. Only lick them when you're in a Tyvek suit. <laughs> Encourage them to weave and occasionally stop when they're crossing the street. Right, right. Life is a highway. I'm going to ride it all night long. <laughs> zigzag, zigzag. Yeah. It's hard to hit a moving target. Yeah. You stand still. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Dan. But I feel, I'm, I mean, I feel much better today. I was worried that it would interfere with my ability to record the, the show today, but I'm, I think I'm, I'm rock Were you song. really? Yeah, no, my because, goodness. you know, if you sound, when you sound like overly congested and people don't want to listen to that, they don't want to hear that. I no. think it's the it's the snorking noises that that, that people don't like. <laughs> really, I only hear this like second or third hand. Yeah, but I think that was, it took a while for people people to get used to how often uh, John Roderick made that noise. But now I think it's part of the appeal. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I think I'm getting over mine. Uh, I, I it's it's moving. Uh, Did you take the stuff? Did you get the stuff? The Chang Chang Chang? Mm -hmm. No. Oh. You know I keep meeting. Uh, my fingers on the button. No. Other listeners I, have wrote in to say they, they tried it and they're- A lot of people say a lot of things, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. I, hmm, that's good. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I've just got a weird feeling about a lot of supplements. That's, you know, this is, is uh, just, a, just a hunch I've got. I got a hunch. Like a Notre Dame style? Well, I mean, I do what I can. I try to stretch. <laughs> try to- Ring my bell. Yeah. No, you know what it is. Okay, so here's my here's my here's my concern, and, and this is this is not based on anything except paranoia. But my feeling is like there's probably some kind of a bar for okay, if you're gonna have a supplement, and you say that it's got. Uh, 0.001% organic mercury in it, or whatever. You, you've got, <laughs> if you're a mercury user, a quicksilverist, as we say, <laughs> then uh, you want to make sure that that's in there. Like, I suspect the FDA kind of does a drive-by sometimes to make sure you've got what you said is in there. I don't think, my gut is that the everything that's not the active ingredient is a pretty uh, flippy-floopy thing, as, as we say in medicine. So you're saying you don't necessarily trust supplements that come from China, is what you're saying? Whoa, easy text. I'm just checking, again an I'm hour just, later. Just checking in. <laughs> you missed my racist joke. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so that's your bar. Here, that's your hmm? bar. That's a bar. It's kind of bar. Yeah, sure. Sometimes you eat the bar. It's a, sometimes the bar eats you. <laughs> <laughs> we're off to a good start. I like where no. we're going today. Okay. All right. Well, here, I see, I don't know. I don't know how this works. There's probably something in a government document about this. But like, you know, you got to have the active ingredient. And the thing is, the active ingredient and in whatever you're taking 
is really, really, really tiny, but like what else is in there? What's the stuff that's not the active ingredient? I mean, maybe they could put kale in there mm-hmm. or uh, some kind of uh, something that would be, I don't know. I don't know. Then I've had, you ever take, you ever take vitamins? You ever go through a vitamin stage? Yes. Oh, yeah. I used to be really into these. Uh, I, uh, I always thought, oh, vitamins, you know, that's really silly. You pee it all away anyway, which I think is kind of true. But I'd heard about these food-based vitamins. And man, they were so gross. You had to take four of them, like four of them, I think. And they were like, as they say in the business, horse pills. <laughs> and like, that's a terrible way to begin your day. Yeah, no, like it Each is. one of them was like the size of a candy that your grandma would eat. Not a good way. No. And they're brown because they're food-based, because food is brown. Anyway, I don't know. I, 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 I worry about that stuff. And, and, uh, and sometimes like the stuff that I get on Amazon, uh, it just looks really informal. You know, it looks like some of the companies that make these things, it seems, you know, you know, Tim Ferriss set up a, uh, set up a, business, a business in India making uh, supplements a few years ago. You really? can just do that. You can outsource that. You go to TaskRabbit, you say, make me a company. Studio, make me a company. And then you, you got a company out there. <laughs> that's how it works. And you get supplements and you put a label on it. <laughs> Not that that's, you know, bad. He's, he seems to be doing very well. He's got a podcast. Um, so anyway, uh, it's a good day. Uh, I killed it. I and buried the needle on sleep last night. I killed it. Oh, what did you, what happened? This is a big turn for you. Well, you know, I don't play video games except for sleep. Uh, the only thing, the only one I really believe in. So every, every, every morning we wake up and my daughter wants to see how I did. She likes to see what the Fitbit says I did. I got 96% quality last night and uh, almost eight hours. So that's good. That's really good. It's amazing to me how I've, I was just talking about this with one of my friends uh, about how if the only way and I don't know what this is. The only way that I will go to bed on time that will actually result in close to eight hours of sleep is if, like, as soon as I put my kid to bed, if I get changed and I wash my face and I floss, brush my teeth, and I'm completely ready, for some reason, that's like a trigger of having your teeth brushed. Mm-hmm. If I do this at 8 o'clock, then I'll go to bed at 1030. That's the only way. It's the only way. Wow. What do you do in that time? I don't know what I'm doing. Can't mm. figure it out, but it, I'll I'll snack. I'll have some. You should get, uh, you should get uh, one of those nanny cams. Greek yogurt. Yes, Greek yogurt or a nanny cam. Something that can watch you, observe you. Mm-hmm. And then you get, uh, you get video feedback about how you spent your two hours before you went to sleep. I, 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 I barely did it last night. I've been, I've been going to sleep a little later, and I don't like that. But I, uh, I watched, uh, ended up watching Silence of the Lambs last night. <gasps> oh, great, great movie. It's a really, really good movie. And it, but it mainly reminds me of how up? much... I th- I think so. All right, I'm watching it tonight. There's, I don't want to spoil the entire body of Jonathan Demme's work for you, but the problem is once you realize how often most of the characters look straight into the camera, it becomes a little distracting. Like in Philadelphia, it's pretty like over the top, but even in Silence of the Lambs, there's Lambs, there's a lot of just actors looking into the camera, and when you, once you start noticing it, it, it's kind of disorienting. Yeah, but <clears throat> it mainly made me remember how much I loved the book. Which at the time, my, my friend was like, look, this movie's out. Like, you've got to read the book before you go see the movie. And I'm really glad I did because the, the, the movie's great, but the book, had there's so much more subtlety to what's going on in the book. It's really, really, really good. Yeah, I read, I read the book also, and I read it before the movie because this is back in the old days when you would hear about a movie coming out, and it would seem to take decades before it would actually come out. So you had plenty of time <laughs> to go and read the book. Now it's like, oh, this, this movie should be out when? Tomorrow. 
Oh, I right. thought it just went into post-production. It did. You know, like, whoa, yeah. how is this possible? Like this, what is, did you know that the movie Nightcrawler is not about Nightcrawler? I saw your Inscrutable too. There's a Nightcrawler movie there's a not night, about Nightcrawler? Yes, there's a Nightcrawler movie that has nothing to do with Nightcrawler. You know hmm. what? I'm going to name a movie Iron Man 5, but it's not going to be about Iron Man. It's just going to be about Is this based on the Marvel guy. property, Dan? Is this based on, on Kurt Wagner? I don't, I don't know what it is. I thought... Um, but no, it's not. It has nothing to do with Nightcrawler. We watched the... Uh, yeah, that's miserable. They shouldn't have that at all. Upset. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm getting over the, the, the cold, you know? Um, yeah, movies, really good. Jodie Foster's, you know, the thing in the book, like there's several things in the book that they had to, I mean, I think actually as an ad, as adaptations go, I think it's really good, but they did leave out a lot of, you know, what made the book so great. You know, some of the best scenes in the movie, I think, are Clarice and Hannibal Lecter talking, you know, the quid pro quo stuff. That's a best. And she, and she talks about her childhood and there's much more about her childhood and being on the farm for that couple months or whatever. But the thing you really miss out on is like, well, B, I'm not sure Scott Glenn was exactly right for her boss because there's something much more ambiguous and interesting about their relationship in the book, which it has more of the hinting at this father slash, you know, not sexual tension exactly, but there's some kind of a, a more emotional tension between them in the book that's really, really interesting. And you just really, I don't know, it's one of those books that, uh, I don't know, you really feel for the protagonist. Anyway, good movie, good movie. I can recommend it. But that's, uh, then I killed it with 96%. Boom. Three-pointer. <laughs> Speaking of sports, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I, I... MLB. Did, did you change the, the, the font on the website? I did. Yeah, is that bad? I wanted it to no. be more legible, and I couldn't read it on anything anymore. Just, <laughs> that's the sign of my age I have to change the size of the fonts of the websites I make so I can read them <laughs> I, I, I can totally get behind that I, I'm I, I yes yes no I just want to double check make sure I wasn't missing anything no. um, I did get it to work this is Dan I think this is a, a classic Merlin man situation where I had a problem that I didn't really understand and I was able to solve it using a solution that I don't really understand so the problem was that, uh, is that, you know, because as you know, I'm not a jurist. I, I didn't really understand that basically every baseball game would be blacked out when I bought the MLB. Mm. And so uh, that kept happening and that was frustrating. And so I did something and I, I, I don't know if this exists in some kind of gray area of legality or TOS, but uh, I took people's advice and subscribe to a service called Ad Free Time. Uh-huh. And this is... This Sounds is, totally legit and above board. Go look at it. It's a pretty site. I put it in show notes. Dan, Dan, in as much as you can say, uh, people who are listening to uh, One Diggity 92 of your Back to Work program, where would they find show notes for that episode? They can go to 5x5.tv slash B as in blue, 2 as in the number, W as in women, slash 192. One nine two. Oh, and you know what I did? I did something that people have been wanting for a long time. What what we call this in the business is we call this uh, caving. Oh, right, right. That's in that Tom Peters book. Yeah, the uh, cave fir- the exclamation firm. point. The firm. Uh, firm. Oh, I love that book. That's that Tom Cruise one where he's the devil. Yeah, yeah. Is that, uh, am I thinking of Keanu Reeves? No, you're thinking of uh, Bill and Ted. I, that's the one with George Carlin. Mm-hmm. That HBO special. Mm-hmm. What'd you cave on? Uh, a, a lot of people have been 
telling me over the last 191 episodes that it would be really handy uh, if I'd made it 5by5.tv slash back to work or BTW, which is the other one I see. And and I said, well, no, because that's that's non-canonical, it's right? Non-canonical, yeah, that's yeah. not right. It should be B2W. And so I finally uh, spent some time with NGINX and rewrite rules. And what was that, 301? What is that? Yeah, 301, mm-hmm. 302. Whatever it takes. Pool or pond. Pond would be good for you. So, uh, and I made it so that those two other URLs will redirect to the proper URL just as a convenience. That's just good user experience, Dan. Hakuna Matata. Yeah. Good on you. God bless you. Circle of life. I haven't done my Paul Simon on here in a while. Do it. <clears throat> Let's see if I can do it. Right. First, you have to have some African singing guys. You go, well, a man's walking down the street. He's having trouble finding the Earl. Oh, oh. Dan went in and dropped a 301. Dropped a 301, a 301. He dropped that 301. Oh, oh. It's not good. No, it's better, it's than not. My, better than my Bobby McFerry. Oh, oh, oh. You were, oh, you know who you wrote, you wrote about? You're reminding me of who I wrote about. Uh, who Stanley I wrote about. Jordan. Stanley. Oh, oh my oh, gosh. The magic touch. Love that guy. I, um, uh, yes. You know, I got that on a cassette tape in about 1985. And it was a time when, it, like, I was, re- there was a lot of interesting guitar wizardry going on at the time. I was really into Stevie Ray Vaughan. I was really into Yngwie Malmsteen. I was really into, still kind of, I was into Eddie Van Halen's records from, you know, three or four years earlier. And, uh, and then this guy comes out. Didn't he have, like, an aluminum guitar? It was yeah, a very it was unusual. Trippy. Yeah, and if so, uh, we'll, we'll put the video in this, but he was this guy who I became aware of around 1985, African-American guy in a Cosby sweater, no relation, and he would come out and, and he would kind of play his guitar almost like a piano. I mean, it was 10 fingers on the neck, right? Yep. So he'd be doing stuff. And, you know, Steve Howe used to kind of do stuff like this in Yes, and Steve Hackett in Genesis would do these crazy things where they would play different patterns on the bottom two strings and the top four strings that, you know, were kind of the equivalent of two hands on a piano. But he actually literally would play, like, chords with both hands on the neck. And it wasn't, a tr- it wasn't just a trick. It wasn't like a funny, like, Jeff Watson solo thing. He actually would play gorgeous melodic jazz uh, all on the neck of the guitar. And it, and it was like, you, you watch it, and you're, 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 still I watch it, my jaw just drops. I'm like, how is he doing that? He sees, I mean, he's, he's fundamentally rethought what that instrument is capable of. And uh, it, it's amazing. It really is. I remember seeing that when I was a kid and just being like, oh my gosh, like this is, because most of us, at least at that time, for me, I should just say, you know, for me, people who were slamming their fingers on the neck of a guitar, it was pretty much Eddie Van Halen, you know, like that, and that was like you're saying, it was the the soloing aspect of it. Like you would do that as a solo. And Stanley Jordan really looked at, and it, I think this is just fascinating that that people sometimes do this, is they look at this instrument and they say, you know, other people have played this one way for so long. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take this same instrument that they've all been playing essentially one way and like you're saying, like treat it like a piano, treat it like a completely different instrument. Yeah. It's so it's so bizarre his approach for it. <clears throat> I mean, if you think about stuff like even like slide guitar or Hawaiian slack key guitar yeah. or pedal steel kinds of things, and all those sorts of things are you're still essentially picking 
with your right hand, if you're right-handed, while you're still fingering the frets with your, with your left hand. But like, the, I think that if you wanted to do like the two-minute history of this, you could look at people. I, I always think of Jimmy Page in my head as being like the king of the pull-off. Like, you know, hammer-ons and pull-offs. So mm-hmm. that would be like where you're fretting a note with, say, your index finger, and then with your, you, your uh, say, your ring, ring finger, finger you, you, tap, you tap on, you know, a couple frets up. And you get those, so if you think about uh, Stairway to Heaven, the solo starts out, those are pull-offs. And I think, you know, you, people like Ace Freely, lots of people very influenced by that style. Flash forward a few years, the people in the uh, substrata, you get, I think, I think, I think Steve Hackett from Genesis is often credited with popularizing what later became called tapping. Mm-hmm. And tapping is where you would use multiple fingers, including, including your right hand, to tap onto the fret. And that's where you get the eruption thing of like, like that kind of stuff, right? So, I mean, that, and then Jeff Watson famously, as I say, in Night Ranger, would do these 10 finger solos that were more like a parlor trick. Is that a good uh, two minute? Did I, did I leave anybody no, out? That's it. Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes. Yeah, big. you got you to throw him in. Yeah, but I mean, it became a thing. Like the the tapping with like four fingers became like a really big showy thing to do when you're doing your big solo. Yeah, I remember that. All of us, all of us, like very studiously learned how to do that because it, it oh, was yeah. kind of a fun trick that wasn't that hard to learn. I remember reading an interview with Slash, and he was, and they were asking him, you know, the, because it. As much as Jimmy Page was sort of the king of the the pull off and the hammer on slash, uh, it was and I think still is kind of the king of bending. bending. You know, his, yeah, his bends are really <sighs> neat. My God, they're the best and they're so spot on. And if you've ever recorded yourself playing something and you're doing bends and you think, yeah, it sounds great, and you listen to yourself later, you're like, wow, my bends suck. But uh, yeah. you know, it, it, I remember reading something that he was uh, right saying. You know, I just don't. He's like, especially not in in concert or, or live. He's like, I just don't like to put my right hand on the fretboard. You know, he's like, that's that's a space other people are in. And you know, obviously he could play that way if he wanted, but right. it really became this kind of trademark of a certain kind of rock and roll. And Steve Vai it was, it was, did it. It was definitely you know, like a, 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 a metal, a pop metal uh, staple yeah. for a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I would sit there with guitar for the practicing musician and like studiously <laughs> learn. There was that song, um, Turn Up the Radio by Autograph. Remember that? Turn up the radio. <laughs> I want some music. Give me some more. And there's one point where the guy, <clears throat> his solo does this really bananas thing where he's playing like pretty high up the neck, doing pull-offs with his left hand, but pulling off to an open string. I think the G. So like imagine like, and then with his right hand, he's about four frets up and fretting on two different frets a little higher up. So you go, I can still do it. I just did it. Boom. Stanley Jordan was very talented. He wore a Cosby sweater and he changed the way we think about guitars. If you enjoyed learning about Stanley Jordan, visit your local library. Because Stanley Jordan is there, and they can't they can't get him to leave. <laughs> can't make him leave. No, uh, something else. Just using, sort- he's using he's using the free internet. <laughs> Music related, they are going to be releasing uh, Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack on cassette tape. Did you know about and, this? And it looks it looks like the cassette. Did you did you see this? Yeah, it's cute. It's a cute idea. Got to get that. Can't play it on anything. I got a boombox here at my office. Do you really? I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I um. In a fit of uh, of obsession with uh, John Darnielle, I, I went out on eBay and bought the same boombox 
that he had used to record, not you know, the identical one, but the same model that he used to record the Mountain Goats uh, <laughs> stuff. Because, you know, he used to just record into a boombox. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have great results with it, but I can listen to fresh air on it now. Nice. Hi, Dave Davies. <laughs> this is really silly. Uh, <clears throat> we have a topic today, but I got some follow-up. Okay. Did, did you want to tell me about something you like? Yeah, the first uh, of two things that I'll tell you about today. The first one is Verota State Anywhere. These guys have been sponsoring, and uh, and they're back. And that makes me feel good because that means maybe the listeners are, are checking it out. Uh, let me tell you what Verona State Anywhere is. It's the fastest way to make your company's own network shares work, basically like Dropbox. If you don't want people putting important business-related files in their personal Dropbox or Google Drive, nothing wrong with those, but do you really want your corporate stuff in there? Probably not. Well, Data Anywhere is a really awesome alternative. Users get file sync, they get mobile access, and you don't have to change a thing about the infrastructure that you already have in the place that you work. You know, I mean, your, your company servers, they're secure, they're backed up, they're reliable. Why change all of this? Why move terabytes of files into the, the mysterious cloud that you don't own when you can just sync directly with your existing storage? And that's what these guys let you do. It, you keep your existing uh, infrastructure, your file servers, your NAS, you get all this stuff. It just stays exactly the same. It's pronounced, it's pronounced NAS. NAS. NAS or Britva. Sync mm -hmm. with Windows, Mac OS X, iOS, Android. It installs in about 30 minutes, and you can control all of the access. You can even remotely wipe devices. Some uh, some employee <laughs> goes AWOL or something and clear everything out of there. So you can check uh, Data Anywhere out free for 30 days with an unlimited amount of users. And as a special bonus for back-to-work listeners, you can go to Veronis, and let me spell that, V-A-R-O-N-I-S, veronis.com slash back-to-work. You'll get five users free forever, which is pretty awesome. Thank you very much to Veronis for supporting 5x5 Five Five and Merlin Mann starring in Back to Work. Oh, oh. Well, some people like to go out and twerk. Some people think Merlin is a jerk. Oh, oh. We got to get back to work. Back to work. I Pull like that. You could be honest. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it takes me a while to get into it. I got to close my parentheses, as uh, John Syracuse says. Add free time. You go to this place, and I have to say, it was, uh, I, I, like I say, this is what makes it the classic Merlin Man situation, is I don't exactly, I understand what it's doing, kind of, but I don't understand how it does what it does or why it works. But what you do is you go to add free time, and the notion is here, like, this is especially, like, for people across the pond, let's say you want to get content from other places, but your IP address is, uh, you know, is ratting you out as being in a certain location. Well, there's all kinds of different ways. We talked about Tunnel Bear. There's different ways that you can go in and, and say, uh, hey, make it look like I am in British Columbia or whatever. Um, but that's kind of a onesie-twosie sort of thing where like, once you've committed to that area, you're, it's going to think that's where you are. So you're not going to get to watch like Colbert report videos and stuff because now it thinks you're in England for all stuff. So what Ad Free Time does, the, the banner feature of Ad Free Time, which is actually kind of super interesting... Well, so first of all, here's how it works. You go and you sign up. It's like $1.99 a month. And all you have to do is take uh, two of their three DNS numbers. Oh, and drop I get it. In. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a lot of special sauce behind the scenes in a good way. You, you go in and you go in, let's say, hypothetically, you got yourself uh, like a, an airport extreme. You just go into the configuration thing, change the DNS, go to the site and register your IP as saying my IP equals this. And it says, okay, you're set. 
And the first thing it does, it has a, the, the self-service page, they call it. Mm-hmm. The, the, main, the main feature of that is saying, like, what, where do you want Netflix from? Like, where should we say you are for Netflix? That's, that's one of the biggest features. If you want Netflix from the U.S., you can go in and say, make it look like I'm in the U.S. For ne- but Netflix and only Netflix. Like, how crazy is that? No, that's great. So, so you're, what you're saying is I could use this to listen to, like, the streaming BBC radio, which I can't listen to. This is, this is where we get into the Merlin madness of it. Is I don't understand how it does this because it seems to be serving, I guess, different locations for different services. So, for example, you, you can go, I haven't done this because I'm happy enough with the Netflix I've got, but it, you can go in and say, just change the Netflix location. The other feature that it does that's very interesting as an iOS user is it can do ad blocking. Uh, on your, basically your whole network, if that's something you want to do. That's not a huge thing for me, but it was very interesting to go to the SFGate site and be able to see content. Um, zing. Classic burn. That was my Stuart Wellington. I like that. And what else can you do? And so the, here's the thing, is I went in and uh, I did that, and that took about three minutes. And then uh, I went to MLB at 5.07 uh, Pacific Time, suddenly I've got the games. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it says uh, Merlin exclamation point equals San Francisco. I don't know how it's get, like fooling them, but we got baseball now. So we get the World Series tonight. Boom. And, and less talking about this gets me, you know, in Dutch with MLB. But uh, it's a neat service. It's very I'm interesting. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to have to look into this. I don't think I'll keep it. You Thank know, you very much to Ad Free Time for time. sponsoring nothing. Oh, oh. Sponsoring Merlin's ability to watch the movie. What's ball? What's ball? Oh, I'm just excited you're into a sport. I, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't care what sport you picked. It's the fact that you're into one. It makes me here's the, here's the thing, so Dan. happy. Yes. There's just so many things I, I don't have any interest in talking about at length. I said this in a tooth the other night. I, I will say it here. And I, I don't want to have a discussion with people about it. But here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> is that there is, or should be, a large distinction between sports and obsessive sports culture. And to quote myself, if you don't know what that distinction is, you're probably part of the reason that I sort of despise obsessive sports culture. It's okay to like things. It's okay to like things. It's okay, you know what, even being obsessed with it is okay, but I get to make fun of you a little bit, people, for sports ball, if like, if, if you know, I, I think it's a fun, nerdy thing. Enjoy it. But I think there is a difference. I don't have anything against sports. Someday, have I ever told my Steve Garvey story on the show? No. Nope. Have I ever told it? You keep alluding to it. I never told you that story of like the best Friday night of my life. Maybe, but I want to hear it again. I want to. We should circle back to it, probably. All right, whatever you want. Do you want to hear it? I'll tell you if you want. No, it's your show. Whatever you feel like. That's all I had for follow up. I think we're going to talk about uh, positive and negative reinforcement. Do you want to hear the short? Want to hear the short version? Yeah. Okay. It's May, early May, nineteen seventy nine. Nineteen hundred and seventy nine. Disco is dying on the vine. (laughs) And, uh, and I, uh, I'm very into baseball. I was very into baseball and I, uh, cause you know, big red machine, right? And, uh, you know, I've told you some anecdotes about seeing the reds around town when I lived in Cincinnati, I played little league poorly. Um, but I was very, very into baseball. And, um, one night, one Thursday night, probably, um, my all time favorite major league baseball player was in town with his team, the Dodgers. And that would be first baseman Steve Garvey. And uh, he was on a local call-in show, like uh, hosted by Bob Trumpy, who's an old uh, player for the Bengals who'd retired and now had a radio show. Really nice guy. And uh, I, I called in 
I, I was like, I was beside myself. I called into the show and I'm waiting. It's hold. It's on hold, on hold, on hold. And it's like the last five minutes of the show. And I'm like, I'm so not going to get on here. And they go, okay, you're on the air with uh, Bob Trumpy and uh, Steve Garvey. I'm like, uh, <laughs> oh my God, Steve Garvey, you're my favorite baseball player. I voted for you in the All-Star game. My coach in my little league team says I shouldn't try to bat like you. I just want to say, I think you're the greatest. <laughs> and I'm like having a conniption fit, like a total fanboy, 12-year-old boy fanboy meltdown. That's awesome. Steve Garvey. And they were both so nice. And Bob Trumpy says to Steve Garvey on the radio, he says, well, this Merlin sounds like, like a nice kid. Do you think there's any chance we could get him, uh, get him to... Uh, come out to the game tomorrow night, maybe uh-huh. come down and meet you in the, uh, in the locker room. <clears throat> He's like, yeah, that, we should do that. Next day, my mom and I go out to eat to celebrate. Um, Bob Trumpy, wait, let me just remember this exactly right. Because I, I, there was a point where Bob Trumpy picked us up, the, like the former, I think, center, tight end, probably center for the Bengals, picked us up in his goddamn personal car, <laughs> right? We go, we go to <laughs> Riverfront Stadium. We get two, two tickets, he hands us tickets. My mom goes and gets our seats down in the blue seats, the nice seats that we could never afford. And he walks me through a bunch of tunnels. And we walk into the locker room of the Dodgers. And the 1979 Dodgers are in there. And I'm losing it. So uh, I met Tommy Lasorda. I met Ron Say. I met Davey Lopes. And uh, I got to meet Steve Garvey. And he signed my baseball. And they were all surpassingly nice. And it was like one of the greatest nights of my life. That's, sorry, it's a dumb story, but can you imagine being a 12-year-old boy and within 24 hours, like you're meeting your favorite baseball player? No. Like unheard of. It's fine for Merlin, but man, that was it, was it was so great. And I don't know, I have such a warm memory of that because the excitement, I can still feel the excitement that I felt being a 12-year-old kid getting to do that. Um, but also just in retrospect, I, I might be foggy remembering it, but every single one of them was so gracious. Like Tommy, Tommy Lasorda was so nice. It was just a little short, hello, greeting the little kid in the locker room, but it was amazing. You know, it's another lesson in why it's, it's, it really pays to be, uh, nice to people and do nice things when you can. It really, it was fantastic. And I, I was just, I still got the ball, um, sitting in the little ball holder. Isn't that a hell of a story? That is an amazing story. That's like the dream when you're a kid. Uh, I, can't, I just can't even believe it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really great. So I'm not I'm not against sports. And I want again. I want to reiterate that uh, like uh, one of the dumbest parts, the worst part of being a parent is having to be consistent. That really sucks. But the other thing is that like it, you know it's important to me theoretically all the time and in practice some of the time to like not overwhelm my kid with my own tastes and opinions. Like, I've certainly done that with some things. There's a lot of things that we both really like because I really like them. But I, I don't want to shut off the world to her just because it's not my thing. And for her to not be able to watch, you know, her local sports team play in the World Series just because I don't like people talking about it too much on Twitter is pretty lame. So, yeah, I, I can get into that. I've had more fun at A's games. A's games are like a riot. They're so crazy. The, I mean, you know, the, the Giants, people are mostly like, you know, eating sushi and you know, stuff. But like uh, A's games are very like blue collar and very, very fun. Do you ever go to baseball games? You probably can't around there. Too well, I'm not a Rangers fan, but uh, when I was a kid, I had gone to Phillies games, which was amazing. And that the Mike, the Mike Schmidt years. Yeah. Um, so I was there probably just up through like all through the seventies into the early eighties. Um, so Reggie Jackson kind of Pete Rose. Yep. And that was... A's and the Reds. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it was, it was, I mean, like growing up in Cincinnati, I mean, I was nine, eight or nine when the Reds beat the Red Sox in 75. And like they, they wheeled TVs into the classroom so we could watch, you know, watch the parade, I think, and stuff like that. Yeah. So when you're growing up in Cincinnati, like at that, that time, I mean, it was a, what an amazing team. The 75 and 76 World Series, I mean, that was magic. Ah, oh, we're talking about sports. Gross. I love it. <sighs> so anyway... And now I have to change my DNS settings to watch baseball. It's hard to be a cord cutter, Dan. No, I know it is. It's costly. It's it's, a, it's people cost- think you become people think people think you become a cord cutter because you're a cheapskate, but that's like simply not the case. <clears throat> Everything was much cheaper for me when I had tricked out cable and a giant TiVo. You know, it's just that now I mean, like <clears throat> like subscribing to a TV season on iTunes is expensive. And, you know, uh, you don't get your project runway until the next day. It's very dispiriting. Yeah, there's so much like that. And there was that recent announcement where uh, HBO and Na- did say now you're going to be able to get HBO as a service, like a Netflix kind of a service. They announced that. And they haven't released any pricing. It's very, very early. But they kind of, they're, they're coming around, you know. But, man, I'd be able to get rid of, you know, like my kids still watch stuff, um, yeah, they watch his like Discovery and yeah, yeah. So things, I, right? we'll have to have some kind of cable, but that would at least let us cut it down to like just you know just one TV and then basic cable, and then we could just get the other stuff that we want. And I don't know, you know, it's it's such a it's such a disappointing situation in the space of TV and the way that it that it all works. And it's a it's a you know I I don't mm, do I mean this to sound mean? It's a cartel. I mean, in order to achieve what they achieve and make the money they need to make, they have to bundle stuff. Like, you have to, like, get all that junk. And, I mean, the, the, the main reason we got rid of it was not money. It was that I did not want it in the house. I mean, cable TV, I, I've loved cable TV. Like, when I was writing my thesis about TV, I was watching a lot of cable TV. I was recording a lot of cable TV for, you know, for, for my work. But, you know, it's, it's an attractive nuisance. Like, the, the whole value of having that much junk being streamed into your house 24 hours a day. The entire value of that is that you can sit there and graze. You know, and like when I do that, you know, when I periodically travel and I'm in a hotel room, nothing sadder or more dispiriting than like me sitting there with that filthy remote in a hotel room, like just flipping through channels. It's it it really feels like the bottom of entertainment. Like after you've had a TiVo, after you've had the ability to like pick what you want to watch and enjoy it when you want to watch it, that really feels random. It's, you know, it's nice to have it on a plane, you know, so you can like amuse yourself. But like, I just, I don't want to pay. I don't like paying for stuff that makes me feel bad. The reason I stopped my pull list at the comic store was I, I wasn't having fun paying for all the comics I wasn't even reading. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? And I did the um, same exact thing. You know, when Netflix moved to streaming only, I was more than happy because as my friend Catherine coined that phrase, not flicks, which is when you got that one true phone movie that's been sitting on your coffee table for a month and now you feel bad. You're paying to feel bad and you're mad at yourself because you haven't watched TV. So like, that's the thing is that like to have a a mindful life and be able to do something affordable, like I just, I don't want to feel like the only way I can derive value from this is like sitting around and, and watching hoarders. Like that's just, that's... Yeah. So anyway, it, it, when HBO comes out, I mean, unless it is excessively expensive, but I would pay easily pay twenty dollars something a month for HBO Go. You know, for the ability to like have all that um, on the device, I think that's incredibly valuable, it, it, and it's very interesting. Like that's for, for and for it to be HBO makes it super interesting. It isn't like Stars or one of the you know. 
the throw the, the throwaway movie station. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah the, the the like we licensed all these movies we don't even know what movies we've got no nothing against that but it's a pretty big deal that even over Showtime I would have to say it's a pretty big deal that HBO would be the one to do that that's anyway can your so kid use the can, can she media? move the use the remote mm-hmm. like you try you give it to her and you trust her to, to use it she's comfortable using it yeah 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 um, I mean, we listen to like every day. We listen to Harry Potter audiobooks, so she's very comfortable like picking a chapter and you know all that stuff. That's cool. Yeah, it is. I guess we should talk about our nominal topic. Did I close my parentheses? You got Steve Garvey. You got Ed Free Time. Um, did you want to tell me about anything else you like before we jump into reinforcement? Yeah, I can tell you about a, a brand new little company called Squarespace. These guys uh, have figured out how to make it so that a regular human being can make a really, really amazing website without doing HTML, without doing CSS. If you want to, you can, but who wants to? Because it's 2014 and we don't need that stuff because Squarespace exists. Merlin and I uh, grew up doing websites for other people because it was, rock, it was rocket science. Like we, I t- said this before, I got my first real job because I knew how to write a CGI script that, <laughs> that would uh, show how many hits your page had gotten at the bottom. It would say how many visitors had been there that day. And we got up in well into the hundreds of, of, of visits. And I had a career for almost 10 years based almost exclusively on knowing how to use a break tag. I mean, that, but that was... That that was, was, that's a, all you needed. That was nobody else skill. wanted to know that. As soon as people would see the less than bracket, their, their mind would shut down. It seemed so complicated and, you know, arcane. You could take, you could make a table. You could set the borders to invisible. Mm-hmm. And you could lay out an entire page inside of a table, and it, w- it would look great on several browsers. Here's my tip. Make your table 99%, so it'll stretch with the page. You That's get what's right. called a responsive design. Responsive, adaptive. Responsive, adaptive. Design. Well, Squarespace has really put a lot of uh, people who were, who were doing this, I would imagine, <laughs> out of work, um, it, because they make it so easy to do this kind of thing. And they've got a brand new version called Squarespace 7. Uh, they just have made everything simpler and easier, but you keep all of the power and if really the, the, the capabilities, the complexity of the stuff that you can do is still all there, but you've got like an all-in-one, simpler, easier to use, easier to navigate system. Uh, Google Apps is connected to this. You can set it up so easily. It's got Getty integration now for instant imagery. They've got this cool thing called cover pages. So mm-hmm. you can have these really slick uh, you know, opening pages to your site that that work real well as both landing pages or just you know intro pages are really really cool. And uh, and what so what they've got going on now is for a free trial and then ten percent off. You go to squarespace.com and the code you're going to use is all one word. It's your show and uh, un, you know uncluttered workspace. You can add content, customize the design. It's all in one window now. And what what you gotta, this means you really is you spend less it. time like tweaking it, right? And you got to see it to believe it, because if you try to describe it, it, it actually kind of, in, in describing it with words, it almost sounds like it would get in the way, but it absolutely doesn't. And you get to really focus on one thing at a time. They've been great at that. In Squarespace 6, they were great at that too. But now, it's really all just right there. You can just hop in, make a little change, and you're right back to, to putting up your own great content. they got mobile apps if you like to do stuff on your phone or your, uh, your tablet. They've, if you're a developer... You can get access to all of their uh, all of their code and stuff that they use for their own site. You can customize it way, way, way beyond 
uh, even just the amazing customability that's that's in there. You can customize like with HTML, with CSS, with JavaScript. So there really aren't any limits. Anyway, squarespace.com, it's your show is the code, 10% off your first purchase. And uh, by by going there and using that code, you'll also be showing support for the show. So we really do appreciate it. And uh, and we thank Squarespace for their support of 5x5 and back to work with Merlin Mann. Oh, oh. Grace, so, Grace, Grace um, you uh, said before recording our last show and at the end of our last show that you've been thinking about uh, positive and negative reinforcement. You had had the kids uh, to yourself for what I imagine was a very long weekend, <laughs> and you were thinking about the nature of positive versus negative reinforcement. Well, yeah. Um, you know, as I consider myself not an utter failure, but overall a failure as a parent. Um, primarily a failure primarily a failure and Mm -hmm. you know every single time that i'm in one of these situations where i think you know like i've i think i don't know if i've told this story before ever uh publicly but i'll I'll tell it now when i was a little kid i was maybe let's say three to four years old um this is uh we had a, a a beige dodge dart a very cool car by the way wish i owned it today and uh we had gone to the, my mom and I had gone to the grocery store and, uh, she, you know, had seen that I had fallen asleep laying in the backseat because you could do that at that age. You could lay in the, in the, you know, in the, in the bucket seat in the back and, uh, or the bench seat rather. And that you just would lay there and sleep. And, you know, I fell asleep and she unloaded the groceries and was in the house putting the groceries away and was parked in front of the house. And I guess she um, she had thought that it would be okay for me to be out there and stay sleeping. And so she locked the doors. I guess that would keep me safe in the Dodge Dart uh, from, from, you know, uh, keeping myself from being a, a danger to myself or others and also potentially keep other people out of the car. But I woke up while she was still inside the house and... Uh, I remember waking up alone in the back seat of the car, not really sure where I was at first and then realizing it. And whatever part of an older kid or adult would tell them, I fell asleep in the car. My mom is probably going to come and get me out really soon. And this sucks because I have to wait. I went in me as a three something year old, went into panic mode as three year olds are wont to do mm. and wigged out. And I was screaming and yelling and couldn't. And now you have to remember the way that the, the door locks, power door locks uh, and stuff like that, we were a new thing. And they had the kind of door locks where the lock itself, you couldn't pull the thing up. It would go level with the flush with, with the, the top of the door where the window was. So you weren't supposed to be able to pull these things up. Maybe this was a child feature. Who knows? I don't remember. But you couldn't lift this thing up. So I couldn't get out and I couldn't get back to the house and I was in there. I was probably there for under, I'll say between five and 10 minutes, which today would be a great time to check email. And back then was an eternity of hell. But if you don't know how long something's going to take, it might as well be forever. Forever. And this, this, I, I remember when she finally, you know, came to get me out of the car. And I just want to set this in, into, uh, kind of frame this a little bit. This was a time 
when your parent, when you would say, mom, I'm going to go out and play. And they would say, all right, come back by dark. And you would go out back when the streetlights come on. Right. (laughs) And you would, you would be gone with other kids doing who knows what for hours at a time. And your parents never were concerned about this. And you would almost always come back and you would be fine. And so would all the other kids in the neighborhood. And it was not weird and kids walked to school and all of that stuff. So, so being locked in a car, relatively speaking, wasn't, but it traumatized me to the point where I'm almost 42 and I still remember every aspect of this vividly. And I don't hold it against her or anything like that, but I'm absolutely aware that of the fact that I could be creating these kinds of memories with my kid inadvertently, you know, she went, took some groceries in and was unloading the eggs and I was out there, you know, losing my mind. And, you know, it's made me think a lot about the things that, you know, when you were, you mentioned in last week, how, uh, what, what is it your daughter called you because you were doing something where you're yelling at her and your teeth were a certain way, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like we've all done that. We've all done that. I have a memory of my dad doing that to me. And it's, it scared me because at the time, like Bruce Banner and the Hulk was on TV and I thought he was going to turn into the Hulk. Like this, mm-hmm. this kind of thing like stays with you and I don't want to create those kinds of, you know, what my mom did was not intentional or bad, but like, it's an example of a, a traumatic memory that has stayed with me. I don't have a problem being in confined spaces. I'm not worried about being in cars. I don't have a fear of being locked in somewhere, but it was just a memory that I had. And like, I don't want to create those kinds of memories for my kids. I want to create positive memories, but then when they keep doing something or they won't get ready for the 10th time or they flat out defy you and talk back to you intentionally on purpose because they know it's going to get a rise out of you, that kind of thing. They're at that age now where that can happen. Mm-hmm. That like you you try to be calm and you try to do the whole positive reinforcement thing. I have to say the weekend went really, really well. There were really no incidents like that. I was able to keep things really great. And it was a great, very hard weekend for me, but it was a great weekend for them. We didn't have any issues less than we do in a typical weekend even. And I started wondering about that. Is it because they were with dad the whole weekend and dad is the fun one and dad gets to go and play and we get to eat at restaurants and we get to go to the zoo and you know like it was it that was it it, it, is it simply that they were entertained so much by the novelty of dad doing everything I don't know but it's really made me start to wonder like the the yelling never seems to work but yet I we keep doing it when there's a problem you know what I'm saying like Mm -hmm. does that make any sense yeah yeah I mean I I imagine First of all, I mean, congratulations, because that's the kind of thing my wife could do in her sleep. But for me, it would be so stressful to take oh, care yeah. of one kid for a weekend. It's <laughs> not honestly like no, it's, it's just, true. They do it every day. Well, you know, there are, yeah, in households, there are people who, who take care of the kid more than somebody else sometimes. But yeah, I, I wonder if, yeah, part of it probably was that it was like a special and different thing. But I mean, I think you're on to a lot of interesting stuff. Um, you know, one thing that's, a, a weird transition is like when you're in this case with a kid is that you're, you know, hmm, I'm trying not to make this just about kids, but I kind of have to. Um, I mean, they're growing up, they're turning into people. They're, you know, they're uh, from, from our point of view, or at least from my point of view, I'll say I can, I can feel that, you know, um, 
rules or boundaries are being tested. You know, it's and it's not simply something as as simple as like uh, what uh, they can get away with. It's like discovering a little bit about how the world works. So, I mean, it's you know, in in the case of like, I I, I hear you on the whole like getting ready to leave the house thing because that is still, I, I think for it's probably true for lots of parents, but that is a really really difficult. Uh, and very frustrating proposition because you you know, and the, the basic situation being that it feels like it takes more and more time for us to get from okay, let's start getting ready to leave to actually being out the door, and then not having to come back because you've forgotten something or not realizing you didn't wear underwear or something like that, <laughs> or you go, you understand like every day this is the thing we have to do. Like brushing our teeth is not an option. Underwear is not an option. Title. Uh, this is the kind of thing that we've got to always do. And you know when that because that's you know but again that's part of the repetition. We do that every day, but it doesn't make it less stressful. It makes it more stressful because then we've got to be someplace after drop off at school or something like that. So like you know not to be too personal, but like I had a really frustrating morning over the weekend where it was like you know trying to get ready for what would be a, a kind of not long day out, but where we wouldn't be able, where, you know, where we need to take care of everything that needed to be taken care of. There wasn't a lot of tolerance. So, you know, we had to, you've got to get dressed. We've got to pick out these clothes. I don't like that shirt. Okay, how about this shirt? No, 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 no. And so on. And like, and, you know, there's athletic equipment involved and bottles of water. And like, it's all of these different pieces have to fit together. And of course, I haven't even gotten ready yet because I've got to get her ready. And it was incredibly frustrating. Um, and I got, I got mad. I was, I was, I kind of was gritted teeth guy yeah. where I was like, we've got to leave, but that doesn't get through like that. And then the same thing happened this morning when my wife was getting her off to school and we were just texting earlier today. And I was saying how like, that's why I was acting like such a jackass this weekend was it took us 35 minutes and we actually moved backwards at one point. At some point we went from being more ready, having more clothes on, more teeth brushed to like moving backwards. Now there's less clothes on. Wait a minute, we're not moving in the right direction here. We need to get out the door. We're going to be late for this thing. And But what I said to her in this case, and I think it's kind of germane here, is like, you know, I, I, was, I was super frustrated because I felt like she was being deliberately like obdurate and like, you know, pushing back, as you say, kind of on purpose. But then I was also mad at myself because she's having a great time. Like she's, she's, she's being playful. She's got jollity in her life. Like she won't have that forever. So every time that I have to be the heavy, I always try to ask myself, like how important is it that this go the way that I think it needs to go? In fact, this week's This American Life was really interesting. It was about the whole problem of dis- discipline in schools and what a complicated problem that is. And this one school where, you know, they're very strict, but eventually got to this thing of saying, like, how important is it in this situation that people not talk in the hallways while they're changing classes, you know? So that's what I, that, that one half of it is, like, I, I'm trying to, like, make sure that I'm not just feeding my own anger and acting like a tool. But then the other part of it is that that, what you're seeing there is a kid growing up. And that, like, if your kid always did everything you told them to do when you did it, like, I wonder how successful they would end up being you know, later on, because they've got to test limits. They've got to try things. They've got to, they're going to do dangerous things. They're going to occasionally set things on fire. And hopefully you learn from that. But I guess what I'm trying to say at length is that I don't think there's any way to avoid these kinds of difficulties. And like, I wonder sometimes if I'm driving myself crazy, trying to only be nice dad or trying to be, you know, because the consistency thing is super important. But like, I don't know how you keep from... (sighs) unintentionally being yourself and like or unintentionally being this part, part of yourself that you don't love like I, could, I feel like I could drive myself crazy trying to never 
create a memory that would be bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super like self-conscious of it and I'm not, there is, I don't want to say zero, but very close to zero part of me that says, I want to make sure my kids like me. I, I don't. I mean, I want to be the kind of parent who I see them as like, and I think I've said this before, like, I feel like my job is to guide them as opposed to, I don't know. I, I don't know what the, I, I feel like my role is to guide them. Like they're going to figure things out and I want to kind of, I may help steer them in or the right direction and certainly away from things that are clearly going to be harmful. But here's a perfect example. We went to go get ice cream over the weekend. And uh, anyone who's been out in sort of Northwest Austin knows Amy's Ice Cream and the Arboretum. Great place. Right by there, there's a little park. They have these giant, I don't know why, but they're these giant stone cows that are there that are fun to climb on. And there you can place for the kids to run around, little tables to sit at. It's very nice. We had a, a great, uh, great time. And we had had a great whole afternoon together, just me and the, and the, the two kids, so that my wife could recover from you know, having them all week long. And, uh, and so we, we just had a really great day. And at the end we're walking away. Now my little girl, MJ three is at that point where she, although they don't always get along, she just wants to do everything that cash does. He's six and a half, everything he does. If he goes somewhere, she wants to go and see it. If he's now she plays with Legos cause he plays with Legos. You know, she loves star Wars because he loves star Wars, all of this stuff. And, uh, so if he were to, for example, decide to run straight out into the street, into the parking lot without looking or stopping. She would follow him to do that, which is exactly what happened. And this is one of those times where I'm sure that somebody much smarter and better at parenting than me would have found a way to do positive reinforcement type of discipline. I didn't do the positive reinforcement type of discipline. I said, uh, we had just gone to the toy store because once every few weeks we'll get, I'll get them a new, you know, they have like a little Lego set that's like nine bucks. So she wanted the one that was like, they have Legos for girls now. I'm sorry, Lego toys and blocks for girls. Friends. Friends. The little, uh, they're like little, they almost look like little tiny Barbies, but they're like Lego toys. Yeah, and my daughter has the cafe with the baguettes. Okay. We just got the one with the, the lamb. There's a little one. With oh the little, yeah, that's sweet. You can wash the lamb. Anyway, uh, so the title so uh so and he he picked out a cool like star wars one of course so you know i'm like what what am i gonna do am i gonna yell at him well i'm gonna say firmly you know after i yell stop and he runs back in the street you know uh, from the street like i'm yelling stop multiple times he's still doing it he's doing it because he forgets himself he's having fun whatever it's not okay. Like that's, there are certain rules that are preference rules. Like you have to, you know, wash your hands after you eat pizza or whatever. Like those are preferential kind of rules. This is one of those things into the street. That's a commandment. You know what I mean? Like that just simply, there's no okay. So I say, you know, as a consequence, your consequence is you're not going to get to play with your new Lego set till next weekend. This didn't go over very well. But it's one of those things that's very difficult to enforce. Like, this is a life or death kind of a thing. The parking lot was mostly empty. It was a slow Saturday afternoon. It was fine because there were no cars there, but it's not fine because maybe mm -hmm. those circumstances would have been different the next time. So, like, in that situation, I want, I want him almost to be a little traumatized 
by what happened. I want him to really remember how angry dad got that time that I ran into the street. I better not do that again. I don't want him to remember that I got angry when he wouldn't put his shoes on, but I want him to be a little bit scared of what might happen because he can't he can't put two and two together and think what would happen if he and his sister were both hit by a car because she was following him into the street like that has to be remembered and if it traumatizes him fine because sometimes the night you know you can't go out into the street okay now let's go get in the car and go you know no like that he's not he's not going to remember that i know my kid he's not going to remember that Mm-hmm. So like, what do you do? You know, I, I don't, I don't know. Cause I have to tell you the, <clears throat> the taking stuff away or threatening things. I don't think that's very effective. Um, it, I guess it can be for some kids, but it's, but if it is effective, it may not be effective in the way we would think. Like it's like, you know, we were having a real row about putting stuff away and, you know, uh, my kid's obsessed with permanent markers and permanent inks. Oh. And so everything's always getting kind of drawn on. Yeah. She's a she's a Sharpie fan, and uh, or you know doing stuff with stamps. And at one point, I said, "Look, you got to clean these up, or you know, I'm going to have to like take them away." And uh, of course, you know she was not happy about that. She didn't do anything about it. I took them away, and that was like a week and a half ago, and she hasn't even remembered that they were taken away. Mm-hmm. So I think in that case, it's a little bit like trying to train a cat not to be on the couch. Like if if the cat sees you squirting them with the water bottle. They're not going to remember not being on the couch. They're going to remember that you're a weirdo with a water bottle. <laughs> yeah. You know, in order, in order to teach a cat anything, they have to think the universe did it and not you. Otherwise, it's not going to be effective. So that's, I mean, that's, that's you know, again, some counsel that I got from my wife when I had kind of an outburst last week of like, this is, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep living like this. We've got to like be able to clean stuff up and, you know. It drives mom crazy when the house is upside down. Like this is really, I, th- I think it's something a lot of people probably struggle with. Like unless you're willing to go, unless you've really done a great job with getting your kid to do that, and most of us probably haven't, like there is like, just a slog of these certain kinds of things. But she said something, that, it's a note that I really took, which she said, you know, I, something along the lines of, you know, I don't object to what you did, but like try to take the emotion out of it. And I was like, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because the, the emotion part is you know, what they might remember. In your case, what you're saying is very sensible, which is like, I have to really get you to imprint on this idea that running into the street is something that will never happen. So, you know, the problem is like, you know, he probably wasn't trying to deliberately frustrate you. No, he was not. And that's the thing. It's like, so, you know, we had a, he, he, I could tell that he was, you know, he thought about it and he apologized for it of his own accord, which is always great. And, you know, and we, it wasn't, I could tell, and there's a difference and you know, your kids, there was, there's a, there's an apology that's, I really want to just get that thing that I want, whether it's the TV back on or the Lego thing or whatever, like you just kind of want that. And then there's a sort of more sincere apology where there, you can tell they're thinking about it and you can tell that it affects them. Mm-hmm. And, and he apologized that way. And he did, you know, I, I, I said, listen, I said, that's serious. You know, and we talked about it and he, he seemed to express uh, you know, the uh, concept of it. So, you know, later on I thought, okay, you know, there, there's no reason to continue to punish him for this. So we talked about it and I said, listen, I said, I know you want this new, new Lego set. I don't want to make you wait a week for it. Uh, I feel like you understand what happened, but you've got to understand you can't do that. You know? And I think, I feel like at, at six and a half, he understands a serious talk more than he did at five, you know? 
so, uh, so, you know, I didn't make him wait till next weekend to get the Legos back. And now I feel like, well, great. Now I'm like a hypocritical dad. And I gave, I caved oh, totally. on my thing that I said I didn't want to do because I felt bad. Yeah. That's, uh, that is totally me, you know, and I really don't know why I'm talking so much about my family, but, uh, you know, another, another one is it drives me kind of crazy. Like I'm a meal eater in the family, whereas the two ladies in my house are snackers. Like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure like left to her own devices, my wife could just snack on healthy snacks probably for the rest of her life without eating another meal. But like, I'm very into the like, everything, hot food will arrive at this time and we will have a meal. Mm -hmm. Maybe because it's something I wish I had more of as a kid. But I also, I'm just kind of obsessive about like, all the food finishes at the same time. I'm sort of a nut about it. And so the hard part is though, like, my kid will really want to be snacking up until like the point when food is being put on the plate. (laughs) And I'm trying to figure out like, and this is this is where I think we can pivot a little bit to something more than kids. But like, the the thing is like, I think it's really helpful. I had a call with a friend of mine the other day who's in kind of a weird personal situation, and he wasn't sure what to do about it, having to talk to somebody about something really awkward. And I only had really one piece of advice apart from trying to be a good listener, which is like, whenever you're trying to settle something with somebody, um, it's kind of like writing an email. Like, if it's an important email, it's worth really thinking about what outcome or what type of outcome you'd like to have as a result of it, right? And so when you're trying to settle something with a friend or settle something with your kid, I I, I find, I think sometimes part of my failings with those things are because I haven't really figured out what it is that I'm settling. I may be just trying to settle the fact that I'm pissed. And so so what? Like you can't have any more chocolate soy milk or you're going to get diabetes and lose a foot. <laughs> like, I, I, but you say something like that to a kid and like that's that, that's either insane or scary, or both, because kids don't think, people don't think that abstractly about how a given behavior in this five-minute period is going to affect you for the rest of your life. And I don't want to be shaming. I don't want to say like, oh, you don't want to turn into somebody who's like really, you know, has health problems because of these eating patterns. Like, but that sounds really weird. But, you know, I think that's why when you talk about things like reinforcement, I mean, one of the things, whether it's pets or kids or coworkers or yourself, I think it helps a lot to try and abstraction is okay. So I think abstraction is a very sound idea going into why we do things a certain way. Like the abstraction of things like justice, the abstraction of things like fairness, right? All those kinds of things, those abstractions are really good ideas that are extremely hard to put in place. Like in the think about the office. When you when you're in an office, like it feels very unjust sometimes. It feels very unjust that some people get certain things or that some people get away with certain things. And maybe it's because somebody didn't see it or maybe it's because they're a top producer or right. something like that. Right. And so, but that really, that has, a, that has a strange effect. So like part of, this is not an answer, but a direction is that I think it helps, the abstraction is fine for coming up with why we do things a certain way, but it helps to have some specificity as much as I bristle at this myself. Specificity in terms of, of the exact rules and then consistency in how they're applied. And again, to, to paraphrase David Allen, the author of Getting Things Done, you know, try, it's like try to have as few rules as possible, but be really, really consistent about how you apply them. So when, when I, and you know, the thing is, I realize what an easy kid I've got compared to some of her friends who, who do run into the street and that's just a thing they do. Yeah. And I think like, you know, that's a rule. I want that to be one of those things that isn't like, oh, try to keep your horizons open or work hard and try a little harder on your homework. No, no, like you say, this is in a different class of rules that it's really important that we not run into the street. Or in my case, like running down a hill to where it looks like you're going to run in the street. Like that could be really dangerous. Oh, yeah. 
But like, how do you how do you separate those kinds of things? And then importantly, for the ways that we get by in an office or a home, like how do you come up with emotion free implementation details that make it make people want to do what you believe is the right thing and make sure that you're asking them to do the right thing. Because what you just described, I think is really true in many situations, which is mainly we want to get out of trouble in most cases. We want to not feel bad. It might be that we don't want to disappoint somebody, but mainly we want dad to stop being teeth clenchy, right? And so you'll do anything to get out of that. And then once that goes away, the effectiveness of your blow up is nil. Now now you're just kind of a dick. So, you know, it's something where like, I, I see, and again, this is, I wish I had a better answer for this. But, you know, the the positive reinforcement stuff, it's a little, again, it's a little bit like a video game where if you say, if these, you know, here's the kinds of expectations we have, like take your plate to the sink. She's great at that. Like wash your hands when you come home, all these kinds of things. Some of these things she's actually really great at. But then how do you, how do you provide a framework where the right thing becomes the easy thing? I know. Like, I, I wonder sometimes if it's too late to us for us to get to where like we clean up our toys before it's time to go to bed. Yeah. I don't know if it's too late for that because the threatening doesn't help. The like the us doing it on our own will get it accomplished, but that's not really the value we're trying to get across. But you know what the reality is, though, that if that was that much of a value to me, it would already be in place. But it's not, so it's a failing on my part. Like if that was something that was that important, it would be something she already knew was a thing had had to happen. And I think this goes. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. This is the last part. This is, but to me, this is very much true in the office too. Very much true in, in the workplace or on teams, which is like whatever happens most of the time of its own accord, becomes the normal. So you can have all this BS about mission statements and values and all these different things. But if what people see day to day does not comport with what you claim, then you got two problems. Because you're not only doing the thing, not doing the thing that you claim is important, but you're also like harming your credibility and showing that you're kind of a bonehead because those things don't add up. So I, I would be very interested in talking about like what kinds of positive reinforcement work, you know, that remove some of the abstraction. You know, do you really want to get to a place where you say, well, you get a dollar every time you do this thing? Maybe not. Yeah. But then I walk into her classroom and I see these kids wanting so doggedly to get these little, like, you know, you can get a little coupon that says, oh, you were, I caught you being kind. Like, here's this little coupon. And like, thank you for being kind today, which I think is a really sweet idea. But also they want those coupons because there's a raffle to like get to go to the toy <laughs> uh, chest like that week if you win the contest. But I don't know. I mean, that's, well, that, that seems like there's a combination that must work that goes beyond just being emotional. Well, he's doing great in his school and he, they get, you know, he'll get something like he'll come home, you know, once every week or so. He'll have a little, it's like a little paper. We don't, they don't, I love the idea of the raffle thing. There's no raffle with these. There's nothing connected to these. It's just, he'll, he'll get a little, it's a little slip of paper, you know, yellow or blue or whatever. And it'll say, you know, his art table got the most creative of the day or something, you know, something oh, like that cool. or most cooperative or the best sharing or like you're talking about the little things that, 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 that'll say, you know, here's something because, you know, I saw you were helping your table mate, you know, paint. So you got this or whatever it was. Um, the most questions right in math, who, whatever. He's so motivated and proud of these things at this, at this age that, you know, I wish there was a way to to carry that over into the home as well. Like, you know, so I thought about that and I went to uh, I went to Party City and they have these things for like four bucks. You get like a dozen 
trophies. They're tiny little plastic trophies. <laughs> My daughter loves trophies. The, you know, and it's a, he, he'd gotten a trophy for something else, some, you know, a camp or something one, one time. And I thought, you know, he's smart enough to know that uh, Party City sells trophies. Like he's going to know that they're Party City trophies. But <laughs> if I frame it correctly, and then I'll, I'll lead into how I'm thinking, you know, this could work at, at work also. But uh, he, you know, so he's going to know what this is. And I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set this up the right way. So I, I came back and he had done, he had had, we had had a really great weekend. He'd been really helpful. He'd been cleaning up, you know, all this. And, and he's doing good at school. And I said, okay, listen, I'm, you know, I've got something for you. And I brought it out. And I said, uh, I said, this is from the Benjamin Hall of Fame. I said, this is an award for you for, you know, doing the following things. And I told him (laughs) and he looked at it and he's like, is that a real trophy? I said, well, does it look like a real trophy? He's like, is that a party city trophy? Yeah. And I, and I'm like, he's like, cause you know, they sell those at party city. And I said, I said, uh, I said, they do. I said, they sell trophies just like this one at party city. I said, but this one is from the Benjamin hall of fame. And this one is for you for these things. He loved it. He carried it around with him the whole day. Like, you know, like that really meant something to him. And, you know, so that made me start to think of how, you know, how can, how can I translate this into, you know, when, when you're working with people or when you're an adult or when you have a bunch of employees or something like for them, you know, and you see this all the time at restaurants at employee of the month. And right. a lot of the places that do employee of the month, it's just, they're just sort of going through all of the employees so that everyone gets rotated, rotated through. Yeah. But you know, how can you do something like that with, you know, my little girls, she's not going to care. Like if I give, you know, she, she sees her brother has this new thing. It's neat. She has new stuff too. She got new She's going to want a party city trophy. But yeah, but like, you know, but how do you do that without making someone feel excluded? How do you do that? Especially in the workplace, obviously if it can be tied directly to performance, they can get a raise or a bonus and that can be private between the, the two of you, but you know, we, we look at Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross, right. It's up on the board. Like at right. what point do you cross that line? Yeah, no, this is, this is really thought provoking. Uh, we, uh, occasionally on Roderick on the line, we end up talking about these uh, signs that are up in my kid's school. Some of which I think are really, really great. And one of them, it's on one of my favorite teachers room. He's got this really colorful sign. that says something along the lines of, um, fairness isn't everybody getting the same thing. Fairness is people getting what they need to succeed, which I think is, pretty good. Like I can see why people would be opposed to that on principle, but I think in for me that works just fine. I think that's one way to think of it. I mean, f- just one quick tangent is like I you know, I have to be honest. Like I feel like I'm really at sea sometimes with what to do. Um and and I and especially when I become aware of like wow, I w- I really handled that badly just now. That was really uh weak sauce and, and not it's not the person that I want to be. And you know, then I go into the classroom and like you say, I mean, there's like her teacher is you know second year in a row now man just just so amazing and is so great at like talking to the kids in this non doofy way but like really communicating with them and uh, I'll follow up on this in a second but you know one thing that I that I love about this teacher that I, I think gets us to something is we'd had a conference uh, we'd had you know it was really cool she sent out this little thing she said fill out you know if you want fill this out anything i should know is there anything your kids particularly love or don't love anything i should know about them and stuff like is there anything that you'd like us to really uh work on and i think actually the things we said were well resilience 
grit in your terminology, the ability to bounce back from things, which right. I think we all crave. But um, but I was like, also, you know, hey, I don't know if this is a big deal, but she does a lot of uh, experimental spelling. You know, <laughs> is that a problem? <laughs> like she just writes things, and and I can read it because it's almost phonetic. But I was like, is that anything that we should be working on or worried about? She's like, absolutely not. Like, don't worry about that. She's like, the goal in our class is like for them to feel like they they want to write every day. They want to draw every day. And and so it's it's not a negative thing. It's a positive it's a thing of like if like you know if you want to write a little book or uh she made a, a wanted poster for herself where you could tear off phone numbers from the bottom and like there's not a single English word on the entire thing. But I get I could read it. I get it. But you know and I know that's not going to work by the time you're in 12th grade. But I really like the idea of saying like well when I was a little kid, I don't think they would put stuff on the wall outside the class if it was misspelled. It would have yeah. a big red pen on it because that was the most primary thing was like getting that spelling right. You're in school. But I really like the idea of a six-year-old, a first grader, being able to just be ambitious and try those things. So this gets me to the second part, which I think might, might, might be useful, which is I'm wondering, you know, in, in dealing with other people, if there's, first of all, first principles, Clarice, like understanding, like, <laughs> are you really right about the thing that you think is right? Is this really the behavior that you want? Are you really clear about what you want to the point where you know it's right and you know, know that the sort of enforcements you're willing to do for that are a good idea? Are you solving the right problem would be another way to put it. And I think that's a very good question to ask in life and business. But I can't, and I'm thinking of something like almost like uh, emotional Aikido or uh, let's say occupational Aikido. Because the idea in Aikido is that there's a way that I can do this martial art where I'll be able to not only defend myself, but I'll be able to defend myself in a way that doesn't harm the person who's nominally attacking me. It's kind of like the opposite of judo, right? right. <laughs> like in judo, the idea is to use someone's strength against them. And in this case, you're using somebody's strength and velocity to not cause harm to either of you. And so you, you spend like so much time in Aikido, you just spend falling down and rolling. Like that's, that's your thing for a while is falling down and rolling. And so I'm thinking about what it is that like, especially with a little kid, for example, like there's certain things like almost every little kid really likes to do. They really like making stuff. They like, they like yelling. They like running around. But they also have a certain, you know, at a certain age, you start getting a certain kind of drive. I'm, I'm ranting again. But what I'm trying to get at is in, in keeping, it seems like there's two really big pieces when you're trying to do some kind of reinforcement, which is to understand what it is you really want somebody to do. Obviously, so you don't have things like loopholes, but also so that you really say, like, here's the core thing I need you to understand is like, do whatever's necessary to not run into the street. Like, you know, um, but, but also, like, you know, you can come up with these certain kinds. Like, I told you that one hack from when I was a kid of like, you have to be home by the time the lights come on. Well, what happens if something happens and the lights didn't come on? Would they have the common sense to know to come home? Well, the waiting for the lights to come on to come home is a great, uh, you know, rule of thumb. But understand the reason that is happening is because you need to be home by this certain time. And then how do you put that into place? And so the Aikido part to me is like part two is then thinking about like, what are the kinds of things you can do to naturally channel somebody's energies in wanting to be better, in wanting to be recognized, and in wanting to express themselves? So it seems like for myself, solutions to improving these kinds of things would be non-abstract, you know, uh oh, well, let me find the phrase, party city trophies, you know? <laughs> It doesn't have to be money. It could just be a coupon. But to find something that the positive part of positive reinforcement seems to be like congratulating you on being the best version of yourself in some ways, right? The, the, the negative reinforcement is like where we both end up feeling bad about like some of the worst parts of ourselves, like having a short temper or being, you know, um, 
tired or something like that. I don't know. Does it does that make sense? No, it really does make sense. The keto thing? Yeah, no, it's it's a very interesting take on it and I think it's, you know, I didn't I I did judo, I never did a keto and it's always a challenge every single day, I think, to when you're interacting with other people, whether they're your kids or your coworkers or your boss or your employees or whatever, you know, to understand the thing that's motivating that person to do the thing that they're doing. If it's your boss and they're telling you, no, you you know, here's why we've got this deadline, that's going to help you understand it cognitively as an adult. Like, we have this deadline because this product needs to come out on this time and et cetera. You know, like there are business reasons uh, that these people who are probably, if you know, if you're just starting out, they're probably smarter than you, at least in the sense of being more experienced in the decisions that they're making are smarter because they've been doing it for a while and they wouldn't be the boss of the company that can afford to pay you if they were dumb, most so, likely. So even, even if you don't agree right. or understand. Especially if you don't agree or understand. Right. It's still very important that we ship this on this date. Right. And I that was the big struggle for me. I remember vividly in my first couple jobs of thinking like, you know, why, why is this part taking so long and why is this part have to be rushed so much? And, you know, these, these people just, they don't understand the right way to do it. And like, I know they're in their, you know, forties and fifties and they run the company, but seriously, like I know so much more than them. I'm like 22. I know so mm-hmm. much more. I know how to do this. And they're so antiquated and old and, you know, they don't know anything. And obviously none of that was true. And it took me 10 years to figure that out. But, you know, the, the whole concept, I think, of, you know, of, of understanding a person's motivations. Um, I remember a boss that I had at one point, he was a sales guy. And pretty, pretty much everything he said, uh, I, won't, I won't say it was a lie, but it was, it, it had a purpose. He, if he said something, it was uh, to, to create a desired effect. Everything was very calculated. Even functional. Functional. And even though it, it often seemed off the cuff and spontaneous and fun, the reality was that he, everything was calculated and everything was, um, he was saying it for a reason because he, either he wanted a certain sale to close. He wanted someone to, th- to think something. He wanted to be perceived a certain way. And so he asked this question of this small sales team of which I was a, a member. I was the sales engineer later to be the technology director. And, uh, and I remember we, you know, we were all saying, you know, he, he said, what, what is your main, you know, motivation? What is it that, that, that you are trying to do? What's the result that you want? And, you know, one person said, well, I'd like to make more money, you know, and another person said, uh, well, I just really want to, you know, like what I do. Or another person said, help me. And he's, his, his answer, you know, pre-calculated answer was happiness. Everything I do, it should lead, lead to happiness, everyone's happiness. And, you know, like as, as a 25 year old or whatever, that sounded like a really noble, worthy goal. But, you know, I realized not long after that, that, this was one of his sort of staged answers, but it, it really made me start to think of mm-hmm. everybody's different motivations. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, we're at work to make our money. That's why we're, we're in that facility. But there are so many more subtle levels as to, you know, why this person didn't reply to you right away or why, you know, why they decided that the project should have the deadline that it has or why to especially exclude somebody from a meeting that they should have been in. These little tiny petty things, there are always reasons. There are always reasons. And 
how do you get people, you know, you always hear about these fantastical companies where there is no hierarchy and everyone just helps out and you work on the (laughs) projects that you want to work on. And, you know, you set your own deadlines for when you ship things. And it has this just sort of hipstery 20 something, uh, I don't know that this, this weird, like implying, implying that there's no hierarchy in a company directly benefits the people who are actually the hierarchy. Oh really? There's always there's always there's always a hierarchy. It's just if you can fool people into thinking there's not a hierarchy, you're in good shape. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I mean, that's, but is that a know, bad, I mean, that just the idea of not having. Well, you know, I, all I can think to do here is flip it because you're right. Everybody's stuff is. I'm thinking now of that story I first heard related by one of the Razorfish founders. You know, 15, 20 years ago, yeah. talking about that idea of how. You remember that analogy about happiness, about you know. You know, the, the, that's the happiness is the reason we buy drills. Well, well how, how could that be? Well, I need, I, uh, I need to buy a drill. Why do you need to buy a drill? Because I got to put a hole in my wall. Why do you need a hole in your wall? I need a hole in my wall because I want to put a screw there. Why do you want to put a screw there? Because I need a screw to hang this painting on. Why do you want to have a painting? Because having a painting in my house makes me happy. Like the, it almost always comes down to something along happiness. But let me flip it here and say an anti-pattern. Uh, that I need to just be aware of is, is, is fear. So think about running into the street or think about you better get your socks on or whatever it is. Like when we fail at communicating well or when we fail at conducting our occupational Aikido correctly, we resort to fear. Anger, anger is the driver in some cases or frustration is the anger. But what we end up doing is trying to, to have a, as a, as a, a token uh, variable that we pop in here, we want that to be fear. Like, if you can't understand anything else about this, then I have to make you scared. So, you know, I, hopefully a kid understands that, like, let's try to do things that avoid harm in general to ourselves, especially, right? You know, like, don't, don't touch the stove because it's hot. Like, don't run into the street because there's heavy cars driving by there. But if that doesn't work, then you feel like, okay, well, if you're not getting this, I've got to make you scared. Well, how do I make you scared? I make you scared by showing you pictures of people that have been in accidents, I make you, I don't know, you, you, you make them scared by showing how, da- how angry dad will get if this happens again. And the trouble is that I think that has kind of works on some level for a while, but it's certainly not ideal. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's not ideal to have to constantly have your fallback, you know, in, in your array of options for this, have the last option in your little if thing to, or your then to be like, well, I, and then dad will get angry. Because then... Do you know what I mean? It's like how the the real goal to me seems to be to make people not fearful of things. To right, make them, you want them to, to make be... them see reality, not to see like because because then my God, then what kind of path do you go down from there? So from now on, I decide what to do in life by whether I'm scared of it. Like that that's a terrible message to give. But if that's the message of every lesson you're teaching is if I can't get you to understand this because I'm not good at helping you understand it, I have to make you scared. Well, then that, there's all kinds of lessons in that that are really awful and mostly unintentional. Well, that's the thing is like, I never want fear to be the, the, the thing that is their motivator unless I feel that they should have fear uh, that they don't have. And, and like, I'm not, what, like, what's an example where that is not ultimately? An, I can't think of a single not example. At work, but uh, like, my kid should be terrified that he's run into the street. He should want, if I may say, I would, I would, my my amendment to that would be no. He shouldn't have fear. Yeah. He should have a desire for safety and self preservation. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good way to turn that. Well, no, because I mean, no, I'm serious. It's that makes that's a better way to look at it. But when he doesn't, 
Then what do you do? Then what do you, what do, you no, do? I'm not, you got to make him afraid. Saying, I do it too. I did it the other night where I was like, she was acting like a real jerk. Uh, and I was like, go to your room. Go to your room for 10 minutes. Set a timer. Went to the room after 10 minutes. And I, I've done that maybe twice ever. But I was like, we got to, you know, we'll have a little time out here. And I got there and she was like, that was fun. I like being in my room. And I was so oh, mad. Yeah. I was, and I was, and then I found myself thinking like, well, now what am I going to do? I have to escalate this. And I go, wait a minute. Like if the real, the real goal of that was for me to feel like I was getting a, listened to, that, that I was disciplining, right? And that my anger had to turn into something that was roughly uh, like, a, like a line drawing of good parenting when it was really about me being mad. You know, it's, isn't it funny like how much your reaction to something can change based on your mood um, or, or the situation? Do you know what I mean? Like, like the, the way your kid acts at home is no problem, but if your kid acted like that in a restaurant, you'd be embarrassed and probably frustrated and mad. Yeah, for sure. So I'm probably saying too much about myself here, but like that's what I got to watch out for. I got to watch out for like not having that always be the goal of this. Because when I go to school and I, you know, do things or field trips or I watch how everybody interacts, that's not how people do it at school. And they have, they have really good results. I grant you that's a completely different thing, different environment. But like, I, I guess I feel like one lesson I want to take away from this for me is to try to remember that fear, fear is not the strongest option. It's the worst, for, right? For it's the worst. But I mean, how often is that what we do? You know, and think about, let's go straight back to the work. You know, um, you, what you end up doing at work is like you, you know, it's, it's anger translates into fear and then that's what gets implemented. And that's what makes the angry signs, right? In the kitchen about how your mom doesn't work here. That's where all that stuff gets expressed. And what's the, what's the basic fear? The basic fear is fear of getting fired. And so like if all, if your carrot and stick basically consist of theoretical raise or being fired, you've really limited the number of options you have for better occupational Aikido. Because at that point now, you've really come down to like, are you going to be the withholding parent or the angry parent? <laughs> That's kind of what you're after. I'm going to withhold this until you hit your goal and then you get this bonus that at that point you've already kind of spent in your head. Or I have this other thing hanging over your head, which is that you get fired. So like, you know, how do you find something in between that makes people want to do the right thing by clearly showing what that right thing is, showing they won't be punished for doing the right thing, which I think is so important in a company. That's a whole other show, but I don't know. I, 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 uh, this is mainly just therapy for me, trying to be less terrible at this. Well, I mean, and we're all, I think, trying to be less, te less terrible. That's our, that's our goal as a parent, to be less terrible than we think we are. But, you know, like, even when something like this happens, you know, I think that, I re you know, when I look back at my own childhood, the times that I was scared were were never the times that I feel like the lesson was communicated the most effectively, but that there is that thing that Bill Cosby in his sweater used to always talk about of like kids have brain damage. You remember his whole skit of like, oh, of course, they just yeah. don't, you have to keep telling them the same thing over and over. It's the chocolate cake over. behind you. That's right. <laughs> you have to keep telling them the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Right. And I don't think that it's like they finally get it, I think they just wind up learning it for themselves. And we want, it's not just, you know, obviously the one part of it is like protecting our kids, but the other part of it is I think wanting them to have that freedom to know that they can try something and make a mistake or spell a word right. wrong. You know, like if when my kid has to do a book report, 
he, you know, you talk about writing words that aren't necessarily English, you know, this is, this is what he does. And my wife's take is, well, I'll, I'll, you know, if you have a word that you can't spell, let me know and I'll, I'll help you spell it. I'll help you figure it out. So essentially she'll wind up sort of spelling out the whole book report to him. And I'm like, well, you know, we can't do that because if we do that, when he turns this thing in, the teachers will think, that he knows how to spell all of these words when the reality is he he maybe can spell half of them correctly mm-hmm. and they're not going to really know where he's at. So we're actually doing him a disservice by helping him that much. We want him to essentially we want him to fail. We want him to make mistakes so that uh, so that they can they can see where he is. And I think that's true at work, too, and especially if you have an employee who's sort of starting out or um, or finding, you know, finding their place or finding their way, right? Like, like you don't want them to make a mistake with the biggest account and lose the customer, but right. within the context of it, like let them commit the code that they're not hundred percent. You can, sure you can do about. that in some ways by limiting the number of extremely sharp tools and, and deployment uh, things that right. they have. But you know, I, I guess I'm kind of beaten this to death because it always comes back to fear for me. But, um, but if you, the, the, pro- the problem is that like, it's really noble to want to keep your kid from getting hit by a car. And it's a really good and consistent idea to put something in place where they don't want to be hit by a car and they understand the conditions. But what you're really, you know, but the thing is that's still an abs- an abstraction. There's still a larger abstraction here. The larger abstraction is that and we can't tell you this cuz it doesn't mean anything when you're a kid, but we want you to we want you to um, be healthy and safe and know what to do to take care of yourself. That's really the lesson. And so there's a bridge where like, you know, to get to get to that point where that's even a, a possibility, yeah, there's going to be a lot of mistakes. And yeah, sometimes there has to be fear. My concern is that like if fear becomes something that we kind of present to other people over and over and over, there's a really there's a couple really caustic unintentional effects. And one is to show that we're not capable of solving problems without making other people scared. Right. That's one thing that they will eventually learn is that like when if things go far enough and at that point it feels like the kid feels like they're winning, right? Mm-hmm. If you've gotten to the point where you're angry, they've kind of won. They've, you know, because you haven't successfully proven the thing you already said is a real thing. So what do you do? You pull out your old pal fear and you spray it all over your kid, right? That's, oh, now, now you need to be scared. If you're not scared yet, then I haven't made my point. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of crummy on a day-to-day basis. My concern in the much more general sense is that like what the thing that fear, if somebody uses fear to teach you something, you end up learning something really, really brutal, which is you, eventually you learn that life is trying to tell me that I'm not really in control. I can't really learn things because the only way I ever really learn anything is I don't know that anything's real until I'm scared. And and that's that's not any way you no, would want horrible. somebody to be. You wouldn't want somebody to think that like the only way to understand the world is through pain or through privation. And that's that's the thing to avoid. And that's why I really am open to looking at people who are better at this stuff than I am. You know, this is going to sound controversial, but like, I wish there was something like spanking that didn't involve hitting. <laughs> because like the spanking is awful. Like it, the, the whole ritualistic, I've told my, my wife didn't have this where she's from. Uh, I've never been spanked that I can remember. I mean, not erotically, but I, but in school, <laughs> they, it was in the student handbook. Like they had this, this like weird fetishistic description of the kind of paddle to be used. And it was real creepy. And that happened all the time through high school. Kids were getting hit all the time. But, you know, it's, it's, I wish there was something, what you're really trying to do when you yell at your kid when they run in the street is the equivalent of, a, of an emotional swat. 
And like, say what you will, like a, a swat on the behind is something that makes an impact on somebody who can't communicate or be communicated to, and then it's over with. It's like spraying the cat with water. I have no intention of ever hitting my kid. Right. I would never, I just, that seems like something from another world. But I wish there was something like that, that it could have an, an impact that made an impression at a time when it's important and that they could imprint on that. I don't think hitting kids is a good idea. No, it's <laughs> really not. Stop doing it's, it. Yeah, as but a you culture. See my point? I know that sounds that can, people will probably take this out of context and try and make it sound bad. But what I'm really it's 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 too bad there's not something like that where if you're really canny about spraying the cat when they're on the cou- couch and they don't see you, it kind of works. The cat's not happy about it, but they now associate being on the couch with getting sprayed. It's too bad that there's not something like that. But because. The other thing is then when you're angry or you're emotionally distraught, that's a terrible time to try and teach a lesson to somebody. If they're learning about this thing that's very important while you're practically crying, like that's, you know, that doesn't seem like the best way to do that. No, it really doesn't. Mm. My God, we've been doing this for an hour and a half. I know. So what do we decide? What's your vote? You vote for negative or positive reinforcement? Positive. Hmm. I'll take negative. (laughs) Fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is a little death. Brings total oblivion. Right. Put your hand in this box. Is the quiz at Sadaraka. Okay, let's button this up. I love you, Merlin Man. I love you, Dan Benjamin. 